Welcome, everyone, to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 148. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Hey, John, I'm doing great. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, Nick. This is the first episode recording in a while that is not a deep work episode. Can you believe we stopped? Yeah, I actually can't believe that we finally finished off part, I don't know, 24 of an initial two-part. <laughs> we, we made it to seven of two. Oh, okay. Got it. Part seven of two. Um, and here we are already talking about deep work, deep work again. Um, whoops. Uh, I'm sure uh, Cal Newport is uh, going to retire on all the, uh, the mentions that uh, we're giving him. But actually... We are not talking about deep work. This is an episode where we talked to Chris Wall. Uh, who's Chris Wall, by the way? Chris Wall is a gentleman who has done many things in the tech industry. Right now, he is a senior principal at Slalom. He's been the co-host of one of our favorite podcasts, Data Knots, and has blogged for a number of years. Lots of great articles out there. So we wanted to talk to him and just have him share what he's up to, gain some of that experience for our listeners. Nice. At first, I thought that we had interviewed the uh, the Marvel artist, Chris Wall. Ends up that is not the case. Maybe that was just my initial Google. Like, you know, always distrust your first Google, right? For sure. I was super excited to talk to Chris. Um, I think there was a bunch of things that he said that I'm looking forward to hearing. What about you? Oh, yeah. I think you'll find when you listen closely that he was encouraged to move on. Listen closely to what his predecessor left him at one of his jobs and what happened after that. You'll find that he actually went into consulting to get rid of boredom. And you'll learn a little bit about life at a startup, since Chris had that experience too. So it should be an interesting episode. And oh yeah, this is a part one of two in typical Nerd Journey interview fashion. Awesome. We're definitely going to keep this to, to two parts is my understanding, not seven. I guess with that in mind, uh, we should throw it to the actual interview. Part one of two with Chris Wall. Chris, welcome to the Nerd Journey. Can you tell us uh, who you are and what you do? Thank you, John. Yeah, be happy to. My name is Chris Wall. I'm a senior principal at a firm called Slalom. I lead a team of consulting technologists. We go around and we solve complex problems, largely related to public cloud and DevOps and security and you know all the all the things that are cool and hip these days. And uh, been there since January and and loving the heck out of it. That's really cool. I, I know that you know you didn't just. Uh grow up there. You, you said you started there in January. Um, let's maybe roll back on the career. How did you get into technology in the first place? 
if we can look back that far. Yeah, um, it was never, it was never a mystery for me. Uh, my dad had a computer when I was a kid, back in the early '80s, and uh, just wanted to take it apart and play with video games and swap floppies and do all the things you weren't supposed to do with Whereas back then, and just really knew that computers were for me. And honestly, found odd jobs working at the library, writing code, and uh, became president of a computer users group when I was in college and went to LAN parties and. It was never a mystery, man. I, I always knew that was in the cards. So I don't know. After that, um, my first real job, I ended up, I was graduating from DeVry uh, back when I lived in Chicago. And I knew I needed a job. Those are important. So I put together this binder of like all the computers I had built uh, at the computer users group. And just, I wanted a binder of like, here's how nerdy I am. No matter who else you interview, you won't get any better. And I pitched it to this uh, this like dealer group for General Motors and uh, got the job out of like 50-some-odd applicants. And he's like, son, I love the, the binder. That sold me. I was like, yes. So that's my origin story. That's terrific. <laughs> the binder of uh, nerd cred. So you knew how to document your work at an early age. That's something that many of us don't know how to do very well right now. I mean, you always have to, you always have to think, what is someone else not doing? that I can showcase. And in some case that's like certifications and things that are pretty easy, but I figured, yeah, a lot of these students, they're not going to put the time to make like a portfolio of their work if they even have work. So, uh, I don't like to, I don't like to come in like a, an easy first place. I want to crush it. And, uh, I needed, I needed work. I needed money, you know? So proof of work, um, treating your craft the same way that, um, like an artist would treat their craft, right? Like this is the, here's the examples of the paintings that I painted or the, the sculptures that I've sculpted. These are the computers that I've built. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was kind of more than that too. It was also some design work and uh, just some of the planning that I'd done at the computer users group to show that I had some organizational skills and leadership skills. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a body of work to represent your experiences. And that's why we have, you know, like, look at my code on GitHub and things like that. It's just a continuation of building your portfolio. Yeah, I think that's an important message for people out there. You know, if you're looking for a job, looking to make a looking to make a change, you know, one of the things that you can do to really stand out is to basically publicize the types of projects that you've worked on. And as much as you can, you know, disclose, um, just have it out there, you know, Programmers have GitHub in their projects, but, you know, maybe we as technologists these days can say, well, here's examples of Terraform uh, that I've written, you know, um, to build infrastructure as code. You know, this is, I've done it. Here's here's samples. How long after that, Chris, did you get into blogging? I'm curious. Um, well, that was around 2004, and I didn't start the blog until 2008. And it really didn't get any attention until 2010. Uh, so really the progression was in 08, I was working still in kind of an IT sort of role, but sysadmin slash help desk. And I was looking to elevate and I knew I needed to learn new skills. And so I was sort of connecting old school through different chat programs and whatnot and reading other people's blogs and uh, kind of learning about, you know, Active Directory and all the stuff that was really hip and interesting back then. And VMware was kind of coming into the scene. Um, and then I just realized I was solving a lot of problems too, uh, especially on Active Directory and dealing with very shoestring budget type IT operations. 
And so I figured, why not write about it? Because I had built my whole like beginning part of my career off of other people's help. Uh, I kind of wanted to contribute back, but more importantly, uh, I didn't want to forget all the things that I had done because, you know, it's one of those jobs where every day is different, every week's different. Uh, there's no way I could remember all these things. So I, I really wanted to just remember them, but also make it public so other people could tell me how bad my ideas were. I mean, enjoy them and hopefully learn something. I mean, I think we've all experienced that, right? Where you say, I just need to document this somewhere or else I'm going to forget how I did it. And then there's, of course, always the the time travel experience of, oh, I don't know how to do that. Let me look up some documentation and you Google it and then you come across your own blog entry on it that you don't remember writing. Um, that's definitely happened to me. That that's it, it does feel, you know, as you tell me about it though, it feels like an extension of the binder. Yeah. The difference I think is that I think writing is the best skill you could possibly hone as a technologist. It's often cited as the largest gap, you know, documentation, onboarding, developer experience, what have you. The only way to get good at it is to do it. You, you just have to write a lot. There's there's no other secret. And so if you really flex that muscle and hone that skill and use it in ways that provide valuable output, like a second brain, a time machine, uh, a place to port, you know, to showcase your work, then not only are you getting that muscle of, of really good writing skills, which can catapult your career to pretty astronomical levels, but you're also getting these other derivatives from the output that you create. So it's to me, it's just kind of a no-brainer. It's certainly something you'd want to incorporate into your patterns. What would you tell people, Chris, that are afraid of sharing that with other people because they're afraid they're going to be critical? Just turn off the comments. Don't listen to, you know, it's it's optional to to receive the feedback. If you're just sharing it for the reasons of sharing it and you don't want anyone to you know, kind of be mean to you. It's the internet. That's just how it works. Just turn it off. Um, and, and I don't know. I, it's not really a problem. <laughs> so if you're if you're creating it for the reasons that I've mentioned and you've got a circle of people that you trust to give you trusted feedback, then, uh, then you should be good to go because the rest of the internet, the anonymous internet is not nice. So you shouldn't expect it to be. You mentioned a phrase that I've heard before there, which was second brain. Can you expand upon that a little bit, that concept of like externalizing knowledge? Is that something that you practice? My approach to pretty much anything that I hear or learn is to write it down. I've got my primary second brain is Google Keep. Um, there's bajillions of little notes in there that I constantly have open and take. And I use a labeling system and I have color coding and it's pretty involved because I need a clean working palette to be creative upon. And if I'm weighed down with all this technical crust that's sort of calcified across my brain over decades, it doesn't work. I need to put that somewhere and make it searchable and accessible and automatable, you know? And so for me, that's, that's like Google keep and the bits that, that erupt into the blog that become, you know, something blog worthy or shareable are usually more finite in their usage. Like I have a specific problem. I needed a specific solution. Here's how I approached coming up with that solution um, and less more of the metadata that I keep in my, my like keep second brain, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's just curious that you said that I, I recently started um, reading about these kind of personal knowledge management systems. And I think uh, 
the book that I started reading was about Zettelkasten, like this like German system, which involved like creating links between notes so that you can, you know, make connections as well as, uh, you know, keep records of the knowledge. But I've also come across this, you know, second brain idea as well. Um, you know, I think there's probably a huge amount of crossover between the two. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to, uh, to side sidetrack the entire the conversation, but it's interesting that, um, that that's something that has evolved out of, um, and again, seems to be almost like a, a continuation of this, uh, of the binder, right? Uh, maybe the binder was for a specific purpose, but it still was about documenting work that you had done. Um, you know, something that you wanted to make sure that there was a record of. And, and as you say, like writing about something maybe is like one of the best ways to, to make sure that you actually understand it. Or maybe you didn't say that. Maybe I said that. I think you said that, but it's not wrong because there's an iterative process to writing and what you start with is never what you finish with. So you do go, you do go through another few layers or so of self-exploration and even refining the solution to the problem as you write about it. Uh, and it, it's certainly, the thing about writing is that it makes you think about how you're going to display the information. You're not just kind of coming up with it in real time. You're having to create a flow. And that flow has to make sense. It has to have a start, a middle, and an end. And sometimes when you approach a problem, you start in the middle and you get to the end or you work backwards. And so you have to sort of rearrange that. Uh, and it does give you another sort of perspective on the solution when you write it down. Certainly, especially when you're documenting it for like a future version of you who doesn't remember this specific thing, right? That you have to you have to write it for yourself or this like, you know, again, future future version of yourself who maybe doesn't have any perspective, doesn't have any of the context that you happen to have right now, who stumbles across this problem and and needs to kind of, you know, re-download all this knowledge like you know, like the they're in the matrix, except much more visually based. Okay, so not at all like they're in the matrix, but speaking of the matrix, I mean, you've got a connected matrix of notes. Did you did you learn that organizational system from someone or kind of come up with it on your own? Definitely didn't learn it from somebody. Um my approach was just I, I like non-opinionated systems for knowledge management. I like a, a blank slate that sort of allows me to define how things flow. And I also don't like a lot of structure around my my note-taking process. I don't want to have to open things and do things. I just want to immediately get to the notes. And that's why I chose Keep, honestly. It's not like some magic tool. It was just easy and convenient. And using labels and tags just makes sense because that's how I manage my cloud stuff as well. So it was take a well-defined process that works for creating technical documentation and automating that and labeling and categorizing that in the cloud world and sort of apply that to your knowledge repository. And there's going to be a lot of great patterns that just work because they, if they weren't great patterns, they wouldn't work in the first place and go from there. And how do you decide what to add to your knowledge management system next as in I need to be learning this or I should be learning X. It's not, it's not just something like that. It's more just anytime I have a conversation and maybe I want to pick out something, a piece of wisdom someone said or something that's important to them or I'm talking to a client and they had a quotable uh, idea or solution or concern that I want to write down. 
Um, it's things like that that go in there. Uh, because if I'm taking longer bits of notes, if I'm working with you know a technology or something, that's probably going to go into something more robust, you know, like a confluence page, uh, something that's meant more for like a project. But the short answer is pretty much everything goes in there, man. It's all it's all fair game because I won't know if it's valuable or not until later. That's very cool. We would be interested in hearing about how that kind of next step happened for you, just like job wise. So I think when we last abandoned uh, past Chris, he was uh, working for a, a dealer group, an auto dealer group. So what what did you learn about the process of IT operations? Because it sounded like that was kind of maybe the first like formal job that you had in that area. It was. It, it was my first real job. Look at me. I get a paycheck um, as a as a technologist, I should say. I learned everything in that job. That job was, I, I started in the job. Uh, we had three dealers to take care of, hundreds of computers all over the place. The The previous inhabitant of the role had left me a screwdriver and like a car magazine. That was my toolkit um, with a little sticky note with like a password for the domain admin. And he had spelled the domain wrong. So it didn't even match the name of the company. So like I did not inherit anything remotely close to amazing. Which was exciting because then I'm like, wow, everything here is kind of greenfield. I can kind of buy my tools and design how I want each location's IT stack to look like and, and really revisit all of it. And so for five years, it was just building PCs and working with technicians and getting to understand the business really, really well so that I understood what repair orders were and work orders were and how to cut checks and how to then plug all of this into the IT stack and automate it and make it really easy for hundreds of people to interact with it. Um, I still talk to them today. I'm still friends with my old boss, even though it's been you know well over a decade. Uh, because I think my investment was to learn the business and figure out how the tech could make it better. And by the time I got done, my boss literally was like, you need to leave because I can't give you more raises. Like You're capped out. You need to find a better job. And that was really the only reason I left. I loved it there. There's something to that building things from the ground up. There's the, okay, you need to fix these problems, Mr. IT person, because you are the fixer of all things that have electricity. The The process of building the system from the ground up, there's a lot of experience that goes into that, like you said, and getting it scaled correctly and organized correctly to support whatever it needs to support. That That's the kind of experience, if you've never had it, you can't just say you have it. Yeah, it's certainly scary when you're like not realizing that's a good thing. Like, wow, I really wish I had people that knew this stuff. And you know, we're talking 2004. The internet wasn't super amazing at that time, and all you know now it's all free learning and videos that show you how to do everything. Before it was not that; it was very expensive, and you had to have corporate you know licenses. But yeah, looking back, it was great because it forced me to completely invent every solution and be scrappy and network and just become part of that community to, to solve problems. So I'm a fan. And having a manager who told you, Hey, it's time to move on because you have the talent. I can't pay you any more money. That's, it's great to have someone who, you know, you looked up to, you were managed by encourage you to be better than you could be there somewhere else. It's, it's very, it's not the norm. It just doesn't seem like in, in managers or leaders. 
I was pretty sure I lucked out on that. Even as a kid, you know, working my first real job, I knew I had lucked out. Um, and it was one of those things where we had a very honest relationship. Um, I told him that I was interested in doing more interesting things, for sure. I'd like more challenge. And we actually arranged a deal where I hired my replacement and then stayed on for about two or three months to train the new hire, which we're also friends, uh, me and my friend Jeff, and find a job. So I was sitting, you know, kind of upstairs and, and first I was showing how the systems work and then I was kind of letting Jeff drive in the, the driver's seat and then I was just kind of up upstairs, you know, just looking for a job. So it was it was super cool. And it's something it's a pattern that I learned that I like so much that I've tried to repeat with people that work for me uh, as much as they are comfortable, but not everybody's comfortable bi-directionally. Uh, but I love it. It's way more open to say, hey, I want I want a bigger challenge. I want to move on. If we can't help you here, let's find you something great elsewhere and then backfill the role. So there's not that that pain of, oh, I gave two weeks. How do you explain a whole enterprise in two weeks? It's not possible. Uh, so I got lucky. Well, especially with all the documentation you got on the post-it note from your predecessor, right? I'm sure you left at least that much for the next person. I will say, if you ask him, he will tell you I had great notes. There was a wiki. There was lots of documentation. I did not. I left it. It's the one thing you want to do in IT, right? Leave it better than you found it. And I feel like that was the one accomplishment I got out of that, is I could hold my head up high and say, yes, there is documentation. This stuff works. Well, maybe the the guy before your predecessor didn't even get that post-it note. So maybe he felt like he was he was doing a lot better. Or the magazine. But, right. Oh, geez. Can't forget the magazine. We didn't even think about like the, all the positive benefits of the magazine. I mean, maybe it was, you know, one of those codes is like, you know, there's a lot of money in the banana stand and you just, uh, all, all the details were in the magazine. You just never checked. Yeah. I figured it was like a faux cover and the documentation was actually in there and you just don't want to say it. Right. Right. I will forever wonder now. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm going to hammer this, but the documentation, the wiki, you know, not unlike the binder. Uh, just an exercise in writing. It it seems like, um, you know, if anything, that that seems to be the pattern is, um, you know, externalizing that knowledge and and having it be there to 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 pass on to somebody. Was the next job, Chris, when you went into consulting, or still on the customer side? No, I did a few more client side work efforts. I was at a for profit college education company. I did work at a medical company. So I, I felt like I needed a bit more. Well, at the time, I didn't really know you could work for a vendor or whatever. Like that wasn't a term I knew. You just worked for companies and you did tech stuff. And so I worked at companies and did tech stuff and rode the VMware wave. Um, I didn't start consulting until 2011, I think, after a few other gigs. And that was um, that was more just um, I realized that there was no company I could really work at where I wouldn't automate myself out of a job or get bored or just become restless. And consulting seemed like a good way to solve that problem. So I wanted to try it out. It definitely gives you exposure to a lot more environments than you would ever see just working in a couple different jobs. Were you more in the implementation side or were you also doing the pre-sales consulting as part of it too? I'll tell you now, I've never worked in a sales role my whole life, um, and that is by choice. Um, I have a lot of respect for people that do. That is not for me. So, uh, I, yeah, I was the, the, the wrench turner. I was the, the implementation monkey. I installed, like, VMware View and, you know, FlexPods and VBlocks and 
yeah, I went and installed stuff for probably the first year or so. And then, uh, and I was with great company. Um, the, the team that I was working with was awesome and knowledgeable and humble, and we liked working together. But I always had this, this feeling like the designs I was being given to go implement were kind of half what I wanted them to be. You know, they just could be better. Uh, no, no disrespect for those that I did implementation work for, but, um, you know, you get your hands on these systems, you start to learn them better. And I, I, for the first time in my whole life, I thought maybe I could be the one coming up with the designs and doing the architecture and actually solving the problem, not just installing the things. And, uh, that put me on this, this like really hyped journey. I wanted to go get the, the VMware architecture cert and kind of prove it and start doing that kind of, that kind of work. And, uh, yeah, within about two years or so, I was doing more architecture work. And by the time I finished, that was all I was doing. And it was just another period of my life where I was like, this is actually more fun. I like this more, or I like this now at this point in my career. More than being the wrench turner who was pushing all the buttons. I mean, that's fun too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but after, you know, you're wearing your puffy coat and your headphones in the data center for the 30th day in a row, and, you know, you've got eight stickers underneath your laptop to prove you can go in certain classified areas and, the, the 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 like the the fantasy wears off you know you you once you drop one server you've dropped enough servers you know you just don't want to do it anymore <laughs> so i knew i needed something else and once somebody gets a certification like that it opens a lot of doors once you got it and you started to enjoy the architecture part what did you want to do with it or did you even know be honest it was a mixed bag um you know, you're certified, great. It's questionable value. Like, do you, people care about certs? Do they not? You know, it really depends on who you're talking to when you're talking to clients and stuff. And it's also, there's nothing left. You, you've, you've climbed that mountain. So it was certainly, it was an elation to get certified. But then I realized that, you know, that wasn't the end. And for a long time, it felt like that was the end. That was the goal. Um, and I, I also realized pretty quickly that, that was kind of the end of me really kind of being in love with that sort of work. Like, oh, okay, doing virtualization architecture. I've done it. I'm just going to keep doing it over and over again. That's boring. That's a repeat. Now I need to start finding out what next I'm going to do. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a mixed bag, honestly. That's interesting. So if I'm understanding you correctly, it almost sounds like getting the VCDX, the, the certified design expert um, cert for VMware was almost the end or the beginning of the end rather than like a new plateau did i understand that correctly yeah i think it was the because i got i got certified 2012 or something like that it's been a long time and i i saw that there's two paths you can really go down you can you can become that like you can let that be what you are or you can just let that be something you've done and too many people saw it just consumed their identity. They were that certified thing, which never has been something I'm comfortable with. Um, and I even kind of leaned that way. And I was like, eh, no, no, thank you. And so then I just realized, really, this is just, this is an achievement. It's something that's great. I've got it in my back pocket. I've done it. But it also, if I'm honest with myself, and if I'm true to how my gut works, where I always want a little fear to direct me towards something new and something interesting, there was no fear. I was super comfortable. I had done it a bajillion times. So I knew at that point that at some point I would want to change into something else. And for me, that was kind of cloud architecture and getting back into code. I guess that was about the time you started working on open source projects. 
Yeah, I got the itch. Uh, I I actually started earlier with uh, OpenStack, trying to help with uh, Nova and Cinder, but my Python is not so good. So <laughs> I was mostly just helping with documentation and whatnot, but then I kind of got into the whole PowerShell scene because, you know, I was, I'm a Windows person and VMware has PowerShell, so it was kind of an obvious thing. And uh, yeah, I really like solving problems using the language and, and wrote this uh, open source project called Vester for a long time that did like configuration management for VMware environments. And total hack job, by the way. It was like a unit testing engine that just went and checked config values. And if it found it differed from the YAML that you fed it or the JSON, it would adjust those values. Or basically, it was just a task engine that would loop through a config and try to find things to change. But it worked. You know, and people seem to like it. And actually, uh, after I deprecated it years later, a company reached out like, hey, we were using that. I'm like, holy cow, that was like seven years ago. <laughs> so, uh, it's such a weird world. But yeah, open source is pretty dope. I definitely enjoyed it. Why would somebody want to get into open source just in general? I don't have an answer to that question. I don't think you generally get into open source. I think you have a pretty good reason if you're if you're looking into it, to be honest. Well, I know from a career perspective, evidence of building that community around a project you've created is evidence of impact that you've raised your game, if you will, more public proof of work. But uh, I was just curious if if you've what you've found maybe different about that open source community than your previous community memberships, if anything. The hard truth is a lot of people don't care um, about open source contributions. You know, if I'm looking to do software development work. It's more about passing the the code exams and the programming exams and what school I came from and whatnot. It's less about what contributions you made to some open source project. I think the open source community contributions are going to be helpful if you're looking for a public facing type job where you're in DevRel or something like that. But honestly, I really don't dabble in that world anymore. And kind of where I'm at in my career, it's very much... Um, you know, passing the code test, being able to showcase actual snippets of code that you've worked on, references and networking, uh, subcontracting work that you can talk to someone about, and way less about like your 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 GitHub profile or something like that. Just sad but true in this case. And that was developer relations, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, developer relations or yeah, technical marketing or something like that, where where the job is more about you need to cut the cut directly to the the viewer and let them know that you know something about what you're talking about. And if you've got a public portfolio of code or whatnot, or example use cases, like I used to do this all the time when I was at Rubrik, you know, you build, you build what you want people to understand so that they know that you're not just talking out of the side of your mouth and they can, they can do that, that level of checking. Uh, Cause that's certainly a world rife with people that don't know what they're talking about. It's interesting that you mentioned that position. Is that something that you uh that grew out of the the certification path and and your experience with that like uh something that kind of made you realize oh like you know this is interesting but it's not what i want to do forever or how does that fit in with the story after i got certified or yes and the and the kind of like position you had at rubric oh well i mean i was certified at at a consulting firm um mm -hmm. Rubric, Rubric actually, I don't think they even knew who I was um, until they they talked to this guy Duncan Epping, and he was like, "Yo, talk to Chris." Um, so like 
that's the networking piece. And we we knew each other just because I was a huge fan of uh, of his books and his blog and all that kind of jazz. And we had networked um, prior. So that was purely from knowing someone who knew someone. I think largely the whole startup game came out of the fact that, you know, I was blogging a lot about VMware and the product was going to be protected. You know, it was just a good person to represent the company and articulate the message and be authentic to other technologists. I don't, I don't think there was anything else special about me other than right time, right skill set. What was that startup life like compared to other jobs, Chris, in your mind? The best job I ever had, to be honest. Um, when you're at a startup and it's 25 or 30 people, whatever it was, and everybody is just excited and top of their game and not at all about anything other than the mission of building a company. We went into it knowing that we wanted to build like a 40-year big public company. This was not a churn and burn. We weren't looking to just, you know, IPO quickly and, and peace out. This was a, we wanted to build something big. Uh, and for years, it was just a small crew, you know, 50 people, 100 people, whatever. And I had the best time of my life. Hands down, I'll never be able to replicate that magic ever. And that's fine because, you know, you have your, you, there's good times everywhere. And that was some good vibes. But fantastic. Fantastic. Absolutely would do it again in a heartbeat you know, if I had a time machine. I'm not going to do another startup, I don't think, because I'm older now and I'm tired. But uh, as a younger man, it's it's certainly awesome. We've definitely heard that before. Kind of the 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 magical, like kind of sweet spot of early enough to create, not so early that you know everything is. Uh, you have to like you know hire the security guard, right? The <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> And then, you know, certainly we've talked to people who have basically tried to recreate that magic ever since, right? And, you know, there's definitely the the serial startup people because, you know, they just love that feeling that the adrenaline rush or, or you know, whatever it is, um, I could, we can, I think we can appreciate it. Neither of us, I don't think have, have ever been in that situation, but love hearing about it. Well, there's a nuance there too. I just want to make that clear. There's... There's the magic of the startup, and I think a lot of that comes from your first one, because uh, I've done three. But then there's also the magic of being a builder, right? And I think the serial startup folks, like myself, I am a builder. I want to build it. I want to see it do what it's supposed to do, and then I'm out. You know, I'm just not interested to maintain. It's just absolutely against my fibers. I think you can chase being a builder, but you have to respect the magic of that startup vibe, and not try to chase that because that's fleeting and rare and you should respect it. I feel like that that's an interesting distinction to make because you can still f feed the, the builder within you, right? Yeah. From different uh, positions. I really liked what Chris was saying about uh, the magic of being a builder. And um, I also really liked the, the last uh, person who commented there about um, feeding the builder within. Super insightful. Super yeah. Super insightful. 
Yeah, that was my favorite last comment in the episode. Ah, yeah. Makes total sense to me. How about you? What'd you get out of it? So I really liked that atypical manager. How many of us have actually had a manager like Chris had who said, you need, you need to move on and gave you the capability to hire your own replacement? I, I think that's fantastic. Not only did he leave the place better than when he found it or got there, he basically gave his baby over to someone who would let it grow up and nurture it in the way hopefully he would if, if he had planned to stay. I like that idea. The, the nice handoff. Yeah, I really like that too. What did you think about um, the certification thing? I loved what Chris said about how certifications can be something you are or something you've done. That's an interesting distinction, and I feel like Amanda Blevins has talked about this in her previous talks on career, about not letting what you do be who you are and separating those. So that's what I immediately thought of when when I listened back to what Chris had said. And plus, I really liked the statement about allowing a little fear to direct you. Not, not like a huge soul-crushing fear, but a little fear. And when, when there's no fear, then maybe it's time to do something else. Ah, uh, yeah. That really feeds back into what we talked about previously without, about, um, you know, not being able to grow when you're 100% comfortable. That entire discussion about after he got the VCDX, like the, you know, his analysis on what to do next and the things that he could do. Like I, I found all of that just really insightful. Like, uh, made me rethink a couple of things. Uh, it, actually one of the, you know, things I was thinking about when we, uh, uh, listen back to the episode was just the the nerd journey bingo that was going on <laughs> doing a proof of work uh blogging moving out to move up and certification like all all in one episode not to mention uh some of the things you brought up about like contributing contributing to to open source projects as a way of uh kind of helping helping to grow yeah i really enjoyed hearing his experience at at a startup you know, I've never been a part of one myself. I don't think you have either. We've, nope. We haven't we have met that many folks who have and really gotten the inside scoop on it, but it was interesting to hear that. And next week, we're going to hear even more about Chris's time at Rubrik, what it was really like, and if he had a career time machine, how would things have been different? Okay. Well, uh, anything else before we get out of here? We'll also talk next week about Data Knots, how that came to be, how it ended, and a little bit more about what Chris is up to as a result of the pandemic and how it's made him happier. I think that'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah, looking forward to hearing that. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. All right, farewell listeners, and tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at BJourneyman for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore signing off. Adios. Adios.